This episode of The Interchange is made possible by APSA and Timu. Hello and welcome to The Interchange Season 2 Finale. It's been a good 10 episodes of unpacking the biggest questions in society from the universal basic income to the classic capitalism versus socialism debate. But on today's show, we discuss... The big land expropriation without compensation question. How will it work? This is just one of the questions doing the rounds. Others are, what exactly is land expropriation without compensation? What is the legal and moral justification for it? Does it threaten individual home ownership? And more. All of these will be answered in today's episode of The Interchange with the motion, This House Supports Land Redistribution Without Compensation. I have fiery debaters in studio today. In proposition, Tepo Mufuging, a moral philosophy student and a critical thinking debate coach. I also have Eric Kazadi, an environmental management student and your favorite Instagrammer. On opposition, I have Neo Masweu, philosophy student and our favorite SNL fan. And Anam Azar, medical student, debater, and feminist. Our expert in studio today is Elisha Kunene, who is a former Constitution Court clerk and a land lawyer at Richard Spoor Attorneys. Elisha, thank you so much for joining us. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. I'm hoping you can help us navigate through the confusion around mm. uh, this topic, confusion that's usually driven by politicians. Mm. Um, if you could speak broadly on the moral question, the legal question, but also the practical strategies around land reform. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, thanks so much for having me. Um, the, I'll start by admitting the difficulty with land expropriation is no one really knows exactly how it will happen if mm. it starts happening. Because part of the issue is that, um, like since the negotiated settlement in 1990 to 94, the idea was that there was a big plan and an ambitious, um, vision for land reform and land restitution and it just never happened Mm -hmm. part of the reasons they say it didn't happen is so you have a handful of sales where uh, white landowners got bought out at ridiculous prices but Mm -hmm. you've also had a lot of money sitting around where um, even where there is a budget uh, it hasn't been used the land authority has processed land claims uh, so if you can claim and say that this is land my ancestors belong to and you want it to be restored to you that's happened um uh, typically mm-hmm. but the land authority has been very inefficient claims can take more than 10 to 15 years mm-hmm. a lot of what we do is actually just the tedious admin of mm-hmm. trying to facilitate it but then out of the blue it became a question of whether it became a constitutional question and what started happening late last year and finally got approved is to amend the constitution mm. to make it clearer that uh, 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 clearer and more explicit that land could be restituted without compensation and of course some people say that it was never necessary mm. um to do that yeah, yeah. That the constitutional wording was already fine, but mm. also some people say besides the constitutional wording being fine, that the problem was always the administration mm. of it and not so much the constitutional question. As to the moral justification, I suppose, I, I, I bet these smart debaters will have more to say about that. Um, but I, that's the background we're coming out of. The amendment has happened and this is, it's massive because it's one of the first times the constitution has ever been amended because constitutions yeah. are meant to be as close to set in stone as possible, but it was was an important enough issue to um, the South African public that they felt that that was something that was necessary and it sort of signals a growing impatience uh, mm, from mm, the general mm. public. 
And so what happens next uh, is difficult to know, but mm. uh, I, I guess that's just the context in which this exciting debate is going to take place. Awesome. And I hope this debate helps us get closer to what our personal views are um, around the issue, but also the kind of consensus that we want to see in society around the issue of land. But before we get into the debate, just a quick rundown of the rules of the debate. We have the British, we are following rather the British parliamentary format. We have four speakers and two on, on each side. The first two are proposition and the last two are opposition. In terms of speaking order, prop one will speak first and op two will speak last. Each speaker has four minutes to deliver their case. The first minute and the fourth minute are protected time, but in between the opposing team can ask points of information. And now to hand over to the first speaker of the debate, Tsebo here here. All right. This is a debate about what the president of this country referred to as the original sin. That is the sin of land disposition. We are the team who suggests that there is a means through which we could fix that sin and we could make up for it and give people who were victims of that sin what they deserve finally. There are three important things to understand before we get into this debate. The first question is what exactly are we evaluating in the debate? So this is not a debate about making the case for expropriation. We think that is the running assumption of this debate. The question of the debate is how ought we restore that land? How ought we do expropriation and it's important that we evaluate the method. That's going to be an important consideration later in my speech. The second thing to say is what model do we support? Now note that it's too intricate for us to get into all of the details but they're mm. too important aspect, the rest of which will be clearer in the case. First what we say is that we let the courts decide who gets land and which claims are legitimate. The second important thing to say is that we'd have the state capacitating new owners to make that land productive and to actually yeah. get returns out of that land. The third thing One is just up. an attempt to understand what the historical complexities are and what problem we're actually trying to make up for. So that is to say that around 70% of land in this country is owned by 9% of this population and is clear of its population. It is clear that land ownership is disproportionate and that there's a systematic exclusion from particular people that needs to be corrected. So first, what is the principal case for land expropriation without compensation? The first thing to say is that the premise of redistribution is that there was unjust ownership. There was unjust property transfer. The only instance in which we compensate people for a transfer of property is if their ownership of that property was just to begin with. Yeah, if the yeah. premise of redistribution is that there was unjust land transfer and property transfer, then there isn't a case for there isn't a case for um, expropriation with compensation. In extension, would say that if anything, you are illegitimizing that initial wrong. You are saying that that position of land was legitimate at the point at which you consider giving compensation for its transfer. The second argument to make is that this is, is to say that the state has no money but the people's money. The direct implication of this as an argument is that we are forcing victims of theft to pay thieves to restore their property. This isn't a mm. principle that we would allow in any other context. Why ought it be a principle that we think is legitimate when it comes to the question of land? The third thing to say is that if anything, reverse compensation makes more moral sense because the idea is theft wasn't just about taking property, but it was also about benefiting from that property in the duration mm. for which you possessed that land. There is way more that needs to be restored. It can't just be a question of the land. Reverse compensation probably makes more moral sense than that initial um, expropriation with compensation. The fourth thing to say is that this debate isn't actually about the money. I haven't received any engagement from the opposition team. Mm -hmm. This debate isn't about the money. Redistribution without compensation is probably one of the best ways in which we could get that admission of guilt. It is that a symbolic importance to establish that there was wrong done to individuals who lost that land and an attempt to expropriate that land without compensation addresses that issue. It is that admission of guilt. One minute. We otherwise probably wouldn't have. 
The final principal argument to make is that there's probably no other means of redistribution that are as commensurable to the harm that was inflicted upon victims. So losing your land, um, we think that the restoration of that land without compensation is probably the most proportionate way of making up for the harm of that theft. This is probably the best way. They need to show us why any other alternative means of land restoration are commensurable to the harm that was inflicted. The second argument to make is that this is actually an economically viable idea. But there's two things to note before we get into that argument. The first is that even if it isn't economically viable, the principal case is independent of this consideration of outcomes. It doesn't matter what the direct implications are. If there's a principal claims for that land to be restored without compensation, we ought to do it. The second thing to say is that they need to note that the comparative is either delayed reform or no reform at all. The ANC probably spends more money on VAP protection than it does on the question of land distribution. Mm-hmm. There. Comparatives are not ones that are cute. In terms of economic viability... Let's hope those economic strategies come through in Eric's speech. But for now, we're going through to the first opposition speaker, Newo here, here. The biggest problem with the land discussion in South Africa today is that we've decided to weaponize the identities of black people. We have in many ways indigenized them. We say that black people due to land dispossession are therefore ordained to the power of necessarily getting land. What we're trying to show you under our side of the house is that the expropriation of land without compensation and the, and the consequential redistribution of that off land to those people does not necessarily equivocate to some kind of symbolic justice that proposition one wants to give. You. For sure. Because extensively what we want to show you on our side of the house is a couple of fundamental things. The first one is that the only model that we can offer as a counterprop to what they're saying is some kind of equity policy. Recently in 2018, the Western Cape government in collaboration with a lot of wealthy white wine farmers basically decided that for every land that you tow, you'll basically get some form of equity. And that basically means that you will derive the same amount of labor that you necessarily get there. Why we think this is an incentive under our side of the house is because we think a farmers in and of themselves recognize the fact that One there needs to up. be a conversation no. about land redistribution. But secondly, due to the fact that land redistribution in and of itself has been a politicized topic, we recognize the fact that it needs to happen in a way that is not only going to disrupt supply chains, but at the same time recognize the symbolic injustices that have happened in the past. Yeah. What do we specifically mean when we speak about this, right? First of all, we tell you that the indigenization of people is problematic to say that every single black person or every single person that has necessarily been taken away land has been taken away from them will necessarily want to be a farmer. We think there is a justified claim for you to say there will be some kind of equity given to those people. And we think that is a much better proposition on our side of the house. But more importantly, we say that expropriation of land without compensation in many ways has become a schism for the scapegoating of policies that basically try to circumvent the inefficiencies of government. We tell you fundamentally that expropriation of land without compensation not only um, is a an imbalance when it comes to the economies of scale but we also tell you specifically that it does not necessarily resonate with a lot of black South Africans themselves because due to the fact that this is necessarily a politicized topic that does not have a lot of reverence with these people. More important ladies and gentlemen, this is a very important case, an economic case that was not necessarily discussed. Under our side of the house we recognize the fact that a lot of these farms or a lot of these properties are necessarily commercial and what this basically means is that they work on a supply chain network effect. Once you expropriate one 
farm or two farms themselves. You're basically disrupting an entire supply chain that disrupts not only food security, but also the property values of those people that they're necessarily trying to give that land back to. And more importantly, ladies and gentlemen, it is very important to note one no. specific thing about land. Land in and of itself is a long-term bond. What this basically means is and that if as a state you necessarily expropriate land without compensations, you'll be incurring a lot of debt from the banks that necessarily will be putting that on you. That's one economic Please consideration engage. that they need to recognize. But more importantly, we tell you that the economic inefficiencies of the past already show you that most of the fa- farms and lands that were already owned by the state have not necessarily been aggregated in a way for people um, that they can necessarily use it in a, in, a, in a better way, right? So they have to show us empirically that not only does government has a, have a, have a be- better track record at necessarily dealing with these kinds of issues, but at the same time that the land that is already owned by the state has already been directed for towards social good. We have a public works government right now that basically is idling when it comes to the expropriation of land without compensation. We got this in the context of the debate. They simply missed it in P1. But more importantly, we think that reclamation of land cannot necessarily happen at the extremities of necessarily harming food security. I might sound like as a conservative right now, and I'm very sympathetic to land expropriation without compensation. But believe you me, they need to necessarily recognize that the remuneration of symbolic injustices does not equivocate to the disruption of an entire network economy. They have to show us why the scapegoating of expropriation of land without compensation is something they can justify under this side of the house. We're now going to the proposition speaker two to close the proposition case. Here, here, Eric. So it is important to recognize that we've had no engagement whatsoever on the principal layers that TEPO provides you. That is important because in this debate, it's not just about what are the ramifications of expropriating land. It's yeah, about yeah. whether or not we ought support it on a moral basis. We think it is like very problematic that the opposition has failed to engage with that. But secondly, we don't think there's sufficient analysis provided by NEO to s- try to back up the economics that he speaks of. Because for a lot of the things, a lot of the things that he says are things that we believe can be uh, like policied out. It is not our burden to say that the state departments are completely perfect. We do recognize yeah, that yeah. there's fault within them, but part of our policy and setup that Teppo said was explicitly about in, like the state being um, more invested in increasing their capacity that individuals who do win these land claim cases have in order to like run that, that land. But secondly though, I'll show you through our own economic analysis why the sort of food security, food insecurity arguments that he tries to run do not necessarily stand up. So let's do a few like direct responses. Most of it will be integrated in terms of the uh, economic argument. But the main claim that we get from NEO is One that we weaponize the identity of the black individuals within South Africa. We think that this is the closest that we get to some sort of principle engagement. We think that this is perfectly legitimate under our side because yeah, yeah. the act of dispossession in and of itself was using those black identities as a weapon to dispossess them of land, but not only land, of the profits that they could have accrued from that land. We think any sort of thing that, like, alternative that they try to provide needs to be sufficient and proportional to that initial harm. They have not proven that because things like the equity policy that have been acted out by, like, the Cape wine farmers are insufficient in doing that. Ultimately, it is still a white person paying you dividends for work that you've done on land that you should own yourself. We yeah, think yeah. that that's a very gross moral harm that requires a lot of like principal justification on their side in order to try and make it seem like some sort of other policy will be equitable to that. Importantly though, it's if you recognize that there was an initial harm, you can't then argue for alternatives that do not like uh, mm. pay amends to that initial harm. Yeah, so yeah. we think the opposition is losing. So let's get on to that economic argument, right? So here, we told you already that this exists void of the principal case that 
they've chosen to not engage with. We think that sometimes like arresting deviant members of society might accrue some economic harm in terms of losing that potential, but you still do it because the principle necessitates you in doing that. But even if that's not the case, let's talk about the economics. So two things, right? Firstly, we say that any suggestion that like black individuals would inherently be unlikely to work these lands is firstly racist, but secondly, <laughs> is factually untrue because the skills yeah, yeah. that have been accrued through actually working on that land is something that we think is sufficient in order to mean that individuals are able to run that land. Secondly, we are Eric. in support of full like administrative support in instances where this is needed. But secondly, and more crucially, I'll take you at the end of this point, is that business will continue regardless. This directly engages with their food insecurity arguments, right? Two reasons why this is true. Firstly, because the idea of pulling out of the supply chain, uh, pulling out of the supply chain or like changing business uh, models is a, is a very costly, uh, is a very costly process. That means that even other farms down the line will probably not want to do this. But secondly, we yeah, think yeah. that it's not true that all individuals, even if it's not true rather, that all individuals will want to go into farming. We think the model that we are even able to support is them having ownership of the land, but leasing it out to current farmers who already, who currently in the status quo own that land. Yeah, this yeah. is still important because it's about the ownership of that land and not necessarily who meters out the administration of that land. So even if it's true that like food insecurity is a huge problem, we think we are able to mitigate those harms. What is important in this debate though is that economic considerations cannot outweigh important considerations around identity and important considerations around like um Paying reparations for harms that were enacted onto an, onto a people because those harms these harms were not just in like initiated at the point at which the land was taken it has been gradual it has been generational it has led to the things such as generational wealth being concentrated in certain pockets up. we think opposition is losing <laughs> and I'm I'm now going to hand over to you to close the opposition debate as well as the entire debate here here. So the first speaker starts off his speech by making the concession that today's debate is not going to be about whether we support land expropriation without compensation, but rather about the mechanism that we use to get there. And anyone can come here and quote Bo, right? But there's a significant difference between actually understanding what the law says when your mechanisms that the courts are going to decide, because that's really the only mechanism that they give us, right? So in extension, I'm going to tell you what exactly the courts have to say about this issue. And I'm going to start off by what Elisha told us in the beginning, right? And this is to say that even prior to the constitutional amendment, there was still provisions in the constitution to expropriate land. There was still a budget to expropriate land, even if you did it in the app, like, even if you did with compensation and that budget was never really reached because the courts never expropriated that land in the first place, right? In 2010, there was a ruling that was made in the Khan court to say that that land expropriation is something that is viable within the, the confines of the constitution and it then took nine years later for us to suddenly like change the constitution and even now that the constitution's been changed there isn't much momentum that has been gained the relevance then panel is that this is to say that there isn't necessarily a uh, issue well this is to say that if the only if the only solution you have is that the courts are just going to somehow do this then that isn't enough this is then to say that the support of land expropriation is not one that we are completely against but it's to say that in its current form it's premature and it's not sufficient and this and, um, is because even section 25 which has been the one that was constitutionally amended still doesn't make provisions for the kind of land expropriation that you want right okay. so currently there's a lot of contestation about whether like this land is going to be privately owned or if it's going to be nationalized, right? Because, for example, the ANC, and well, even like
like the EFF wanted to run a nationalization idea, but then like there's been a lot of contestation about whether it's actually nationalized or privately owned. In cases where it's nationalized, it means that the the state will still own the land, but will lease it out to farmers, which means all of Eric's analysis about how like these people can lease the land doesn't stand. And it means then that the kind of capacity that you have to actually get like the kind of ownership and to spread the the uh, access to that land also falls away. But in the second case of even private ownership, there's very specific types of land you can expropriate because currently there's like five types of land. And those are lands that aren't even economically viable in the first place, right? So two ways in which I'm going to tie in my rebuttal. They talk firstly about how like, well, even if it's not economically viable, the principle matters. Mm. Completely false. Because mm. even the very motto of the EFF, who are the ones that propose this in the first place, is economic freedom, right? And economic liberation. So in the absence of any kind of economic benefit, the land expropriation doesn't really mean much because economic... Because the land expropriation only means as much as uh, as you're able to derive like economic benefit from it. Mm. But secondly, you talk about symbolic justice no. because a lot of what they're saying sounds a lot of like the analysis we get about the TRC, right? Where like, well, it's important because it's some kind of symbolism. First of all, when these things are proven to be unsuccessful because they're incredibly bureaucratic and they're One given in the hands of people who are proven that they that they're not actually in the interest of the people you want to protect, they're used to pacify the stances of people, right? So what happened post TRC is when people said, "Well, we still don't have the kind of freedom we want." They were like, "No, but we had like this great symbolic thing that gave you like uh like some kind of principal justice if you want to put it that way." But secondly, it also means that you don't get the kind of robust mechanism of actually changing the economy and restructuring the economy, right? In cases where, for example, you're using the idea of nationalization, it often means that the state acts as gatekeepers to actually allowing people on the ground to get access to that kind of land that they need, right? But like... Lastly, I just want to talk about the kind of people who are likely to get land through this policy and the kind of land we're likely to expropriate. Because the first thing is we're not likely to expropriate a lot of land under the current model, right? Because, mm. again, there's only very specific types of land. Most of those are like lands that are bought in speculation or lands that aren't economically viable or lands in the CBD that are already abandoned, right? They're not like we're not talking about very economically viable uh, land in the first place. And, um, your time is up. This is, I think, the first ever interchange debate where every speaker went off time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of thoughts around this. Elisha, what are your preliminary thoughts? Uh, I think your, 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 your comment is actually very important that everybody ran out of time. No one took a point of information. Um, uh-huh. it, in, in some ways it, uh, shows exactly that there's too much to say, too much to consider. Uh-huh. Uh, but also, uh, Kind of, it's an accurate snapshot of how the debate is happening, which is a lot of people mm. talking past each other. Mm. Uh, and the, the, like the first question which happens, which comes up like quite early on is that in principle, is the idea of paying any money, uh, for something which is rightfully your own, mm. something which is justifiable and is it can be, can it be analogized to anything that we see? And the response to that quite early on is your principle doesn't matter because principles are just symbolic. If mm. it's just a symbolic sort of advancement, mm. then the then the principle question may as well not be answered at all. And the debate doesn't really progress past that as a question um, because it's difficult for anyone to say uh, whether the land expropriation is just about economic benefit or if it is just about like – I don't know, just like poetry, uh, just, just, just an artistic 
art piece and the, the the reason there's no real answer to that is because land means different things to different people mm. people want both um and so the question is that would this advance our goals like fundamentally would it be uh would it be a restorative of the dignity of the dispossessed or is it just like something that is being used as a smokescreen for failures of politics failures of, uh, in administration and that's been the big question to say because even when section 25 is being amended quite remarkably it's being amended without ever really being tested it's mm. not like um the court said that no this is too little expropriation and the constitution forbids it uh mm. we were like fast forwarded to the point where we like we need fundamental changes whereas in in the reality it was unclear that the constitution was standing in the way in the first place so i think it was like this is an excellent debate because you get the strongest arguments on both sides. You mm. get like a, a real in-depth questions of the practicalities, what could improve, what is unlikely to improve and mm. whether that even matters, um, uh, like what the questions are. Uh, and I think, yeah, it's a, a really accurate Mm. snapshot of like why this has been such a difficult question to answer mm. but all the more reason it's that even as the process goes forward it's going to be difficult even to evaluate whether we're being successful or not mm. because we have different metrics and there's uncertainty about what exactly the people who are in charge will do mm. about these very important questions but just to be clear on both sides of the debate are we are we agreeing that um there's very little moral or historical justification for why uh, black people should not be entitled or, or, or people that, um, you know, benefited from land that was taken from black people. Are we saying that, are we all agreeing that there's very little justification for why they should not be entitled to compensation? That we all, us. Yeah. Yeah. But what's the offshoot from that from both sides? Look, I think on prop we are clear that we think there is um definite principle justification for the restoration of land. Mm. Um what we try to do is make that argument a little bit more specific to the restoration of land without compensation. Okay. Right? So I think we're very clear on prop that there is a case for the yeah. principal claim to land ownership. From opposition, since we make the principal concession, how do we move from there? Um, I, I think from opposition, our entire case was that we're just very suspicious of the idea that the state has the best intents when it comes mm. to using expropriation of land without compensation for social good. Mm. Um, we don't, we're not necessarily using it as empirical fact. It's just justified intuition to say that the state will always say that we're looking out for our people, but at the same time, it's just a means to politicize the entire conversation. Mm. But at the same time, how best do you aggregate economic gains for a lot of these people, right? Mm. Uh, most of the land that will be expropriated, many instances, says we'll lose a lot of property value mm. um, at the time when those people necessarily get it because valuation happens a lot to do with the idea of productivity while at the same time expending to whether there is any debt incurred when that necessarily happens. So we felt like the best way to at least sort of like equivocate ourselves with a very competitive proposition is to say that an equity policy is something that we think is much more better because at least in that instance, you're still able to viably participate in the market of say, for instance, farming, but at the same time, you are getting some kind of um, some kind of dividend, right? But practically, isn't mm. that something that happens after land has been expropriated? Mm. So I need to get my land yeah. uh, so I can be empowered and productively use that land, mm. and then we can have a conversation about participation in the market. But how do I even participate if I'm landless? Mm. Mm. Okay, should I respond to that? I mean, anyone can respond <laughs> to that. <laughs> so I must say, like... Um, 
Um, I'm not trying to run away from this. It was a very mm. difficult um, topic to <laughs> very oppose. Very difficult, yeah. yes. Um, um, I think, um, yeah, sure, you, you, you could have the claim that how do you talk about land even when you do not have land per se. But I think um, the mechanism or the, the prerequisite for, for land expropriation without compensation, at least defin- per definition on our side, should at least sort of like start speaking about how the modalities will be working. And I, mm. I think we have a very simplistic way of looking at it. Um, um, where we just say that, like, if you give these people land, mm. they will necessarily be able to do something with it, right? But, but, um. but, but, I mean, Anam, mm. I want to let you speak, but before then, maybe you can also incorporate this into your response. Why do we necessarily have to prove that the people who are going to acquire land that was stolen from them are able to productively use that land? Yeah, yeah. Um, but even if we, I mean, what also fuels the kind of beliefs that we have that they can't productively use mm. that land with, with a little bit of rescaling because if we look at mm. like farming practices most of them uh, you know gain, uh, finding roots in uh, African wisdom mm. and African ways of sustainable farming mm. um, so I mean and you also have apps like Kula for instance yeah. that are aggregating mm. the produce of farmers that hold small that have small holdings mm. and you know, selling that to markets in blocks. So it's also calling us to find new and innovative ways of enterprising when we uh, are using that land. So what, what, you know, what fuels the kind of assumptions that we have, but also to what extent should we be careful of just assuming that we can readily and quickly upskill people to productively use their land? But also is that obligation there on the people who own the land right now? Should that obligation even be there? Why should I be able to use their land as part of some greater NDP vision mm. when it's just simply my land? Mm. Anam? So that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I want to start off by saying that I think the problem that... I have with like the conversations around land is that I think they require then that kind of honesty, right? Mm. Because I think, for example, if you're just going to dismiss any kind of speculation around land expropriation by just being like, the courts are going to do it and we're going to upskill people. Mm. It's like, those are two very big statements mm. and very big, yeah. you need to then back those up with a mm. lot of things, right? Mm. You can't simply just say, well, we're going to like, like there's going to, be a transfer of skills mm. because then the question is like how can a government that has never truly distributed land since 1994 how mm. are they going to do that in this much of an effective way mm. and i think then i don't think that there is an obligation for land to be distributed on and and for you to have to then be economically viable but i think then we also need to not always make that so for example the way it's sold is it's always kind of sold by politicians as being the same thing mm. right so it's always sold as like this is a means to economic prosperity mm. and when people support that sometimes they support it as a means to economic prosperity and i think then like just as a democratic principle we need to be honest and say this is a principled idea and mm. then support the principle or this is an economic idea and support the economics but i don't think you can kind of just to rally support around an idea. You can just kind of throw in the fact that this is like an incredibly economic viable option. Mm. Any opinions on that? Um, yeah. So I think 
Kind of the frustration of the debating format is that you have to necessarily argue on one side and yes. devoid of the debate itself. I think it is important that anyone who is engaging in this conversation concedes that it won't be a frictionless transition, right? Mm. There obviously has to be concerns around whether or not the courts are able to properly adjudicate these issues, about whether or not we're able to uplift and upskill individuals um, quickly and at a certain level. I do think, though, because like these two, the two considerations of principle and practicalities are so opposed and at opposite ends of the spectrum, there is room, at, at least personally, there's like some sort of um, legitimacy in being a fence sitter, which is what mm. I think I am on this issue. Because on one side, I do agree that like we don't have to prove productivity because the opportunity to learn those skills was lost mm. at the point at which that, that land, land was dispossessed from uh, from like mm. the black population. But at the same time, the question is, does that like liber- libertarian principle outweigh the considerations that the opposition tries to prove around things like food insecurity and mm. the effects it would have on the economy and also on the value of that land? Does that matter if we itself. look at ANC's own resolution? That focuses compensation on uh, uh, land expropriation, that compensation on vacant, unused, uh, or underutilized state land, as well as land held for speculation or heavily indebted land. It it, it flips uh, the the script in a way because then it's not you're not taking away from ex farmer to you know cut that piece of land up to a couple of ex black farmers who might not necessarily be able to productively use that land. But if it was never productive in the first instance, yeah. then you know, the conversation doesn't become as urgent. Am I wrong? Yeah, definitely. So I think the context surrounding the land in question is also important. So it's not a one size fits all kind of solution, right? So in terms of vacant land or land that is not being used or not productive in any instance, then the argument about productivity of like black farmers is really null and void because Mm. in its vacant state, it's inherently unproductive. However, in more contentious like land, uh, land claim battles, they, there has to then be a serious consideration of whether or not the principle is strong enough to outweigh the practicalities. And some of how like the debate played out is sort of a microcosm of the real world, I would say, because on one side, it's the principle, yes, but on the other side, the opponents of the idea have quite sound argumentation, if conservative argumentation, about why this is likely to impact negatively on like the economy itself. And some would even say that like history is a indicator that expropriation without compensation doesn't work in terms of like other countries but again the context is different the Mm. ideas surrounding each like particular piece of land needs to be very thorough and then again the questions of whether or not our courts are able to do this given like Mm. there being no precedent in any Mm. instance it's a huge topic and Mm. i don't think a an a debate will solve it, but mm. I do think it brings out the ideas that people need to consider. Elisha, mm. you were beginning to, to yeah. comment on this. <laughs> if yeah. I can just briefly I, mm. I just make two points. I think one thing uh, that Eric touches on now um, is, you know, when you talk about like the problems with debating uh, and the economy is that it's kind of difficult because uh, as Neo was saying, no one wants to be like the conservative, mm. uh, but also maybe some sometimes the strongest arguments against something are the most boring ones like mm. what will it do to the rand yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and you don't want to be that person who's like using economic like prudence mm. to oppose anything progressive uh, <laughs> nobody wants to be like that person uh, but um, which is why they were saying it's a difficult topic to oppose because who, uh, I guess one of the questions is even when it g- gets to parliament is no political party would vote against it because mm. it's like, are you opposed to restorative justice? Mm. Uh, and, but I think they, they 
this team does oppose it well or as well as can be done and one word that gets used very on is the idea of like indigenizing people mm. to be like well we're not all like and by we i mean like black people we're not all derived from long lines of noble farmers like mm. um even if some people just don't want to farm mm. uh and the thing is but yeah i guess yeah land means different things to different people but mm. what we try to do at work and one thing which is important and what we can hope for is like increasing agency increasing options for people uh empowering them and maybe that could be done just as well through taxing people more uh but maybe some people do want to own land and they do want to use it for specific purposes so i think it's still going to come down to how it's administrated and whether people are like actually empowered in their mm. lives mm. speaking of empowerment and to close this debate we obviously live in a climate where uh political power sort of renders the true interests of people invisible a lot of the time. At the heart of any kind of reform, but specifically land reform for this debate, what do you hope for as an individual? I'm going to start with Neil. I honestly, honestly believe in the value of equity. Mm. Um, I think it's not enough that we're just going to say we're going to give again black farmers, establishes incoming black farmers with land and say we're going to be reskilling them. I think it's also about opening markets as well mm. um, because um, I'll say this, um, I was born and bred in the free state mm. and I can tell you that a lot of the established white farmers have network effects and they will try by every, every means possible to crowd uh, black farmers out. So I think the government should look much more towards having sophisticated policy that speaks mm. to the idea of actually opening markets for a lot of these farmers, which is something that doesn't happen at all. Mm. Um, I think it's mostly happen, happens uh, to the idea that we're just going to do the symbolic restorative justice. Mm. We're going to give them a the piece of land and then nothing ever happens. Mm. Yeah. Eric. Um, so this might be difficult given the politics around it, but <laughs> I truly hope for a system where we could be more collaborative in terms of how we do it and recognize that different stakeholders have an important role to play. So perhaps it might look like an upping of the like Cape Wine Farms mm. policy and status quo. I do think the in the instance in which we do give back land, it ought not be a hasty like process just mm. to get the votes and just to get the political heart ticket mm. out of the way. So I just hope for great consideration from the people in power and understanding the nuances and contexts that inform. So the word I'd use for what I hope for is, I think, closure. Mm. Um, and that is closure mm. for the harm that was imposed when land got dispossessed and an attempt to consider how we ought to give um, victims of that theft closure without necessarily having the conversation be about whether or not that is absolutely going to give them, um, say, wealth and that's absolutely going to be in their best economic interest. Because I think the two are separate interests, but um, equally important and the one shouldn't take away from the other. So closure is still an important consideration um, and we still need a means of redress that is commensurable to the harm that was inflicted um, on victims. Mm. And, um, um, so I think the first thing is like policy over principle, mm. just because I think that principle a lot of the time doesn't really mean 
much because mm. that's why we can kind of debate, right? Just because mm. we can each grab a principle and argue it and we're mm. all kind of right in a way. But I think what actually matters is the policy. Um, mm. I think transparency also really mm. matters in this process. And I think when you think of restorative justice, like Elisha said, it's about agency. So mm. I think not just people saying this is the most important thing and now this is freedom and this is restorative justice, but actually looking at what that land means to different people and whether that is the mm. best form of restorative justice for everyone or not. Mm. Please close it for us, Elisha. Uh, yeah, I think uh, e- excellent debate. Um, it's un- unfortunate that it is so short, but mm. then I guess it has been going for 10 years, so it's as good a summary as you can get. But I think the, la- the land question is going to keep being important, um, mostly because it's the most accurate viewpoint into like South Africa's history um, and the way the um, economy has changed, the way rights um, in relation to people has changed and the ways that people have been dehumanized and moved around. And that's not always a matter of like, I want this plot or this property back, but you want people to like, I guess where we're gradually trying to rebuild people's humanity and uh, people's agency of of the like terrible crime which was apartheid and one thing which i think is important to remember is that it was like a 200 year project of like Mm. uh subjugation and so there is no policy which would restore Mm. in a year Mm. uh and even a perfect government wouldn't be able to do that Mm. uh but it's really important to have conversations like this even in instances where you don't want you're on the side you don't want to be on or you have to consider things which are not particularly interesting or, mm. or certainly don't feel right uh but mm. hopefully these are the sorts of conversation and the sort of sober thinking which guides the steps which get made like going forward and that's not just in the short mm. to medium term mm. it's in the long long term um that there, there should be no desire for the conversation to end uh mm. because what we're trying to do is gonna be a lifelong mm. endeavor as mm. yeah so agreed. Um, I think I agree broadly with everyone around the table. And maybe just for me, land reform is about um, reversing the legacy of colonialism and apartheid, which is poverty, food insecurity, but also the dominance of men in society. And so for me, for land reform to counter these, I truly hope that the prime beneficiaries um, ought to be women and ought to be the poor. And just like that, we're done. Season two, case closed. I hope that you enjoyed every single episode. This was definitely one that uh, I think will have a strong impact. Um, but And I hope that some policymaker out there is listening to this, but also politicians. But also if you've been confused by the sentiment and rhetoric on social media, the kind of rhetoric being spewed by different politicians, you know, politicizing the issue, I hope that this debate is certainly... I alerted you to some of the good points uh, on both ends that you you yourself have to consider when it comes to the land debate. That was The Interchange, Season 2, Episode 10. Till next time. This was another thought-provoking debate made possible by APSA and Simung, amplifying the voices of young people. The Interchange, seeing Africa through a youthful lens.